Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Hello everyone, podcast number 38. My name is Cam Connor, along with my son Chris. So welcome back everyone. Uh, It's been kind of a heavy week in the world of hockey in the last couple of weeks and we will be covering that. So we're going to get dad's opinion on Bill Peters, everything that's going on with him. You're going to talk about someone you know pretty well, Daryl Sutter, and a bit of criticism that's come his way over the last week. And then uh, we'll get out of the heavy topics. You've got a couple lighthearted stories to share, and you've got some interesting questions. Before we get started, we wanted to thank everyone who's been following Dad on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, you're most active on Twitter, which is Cam Connor NHL. Been posting a lot of blast from the past photos that people seem to be enjoying, so if you haven't followed him yet, take a second and give him a follow. We also want to thank everyone who has purchased our merchandise, especially during the Black Friday sale weekend. Uh, it's not too late. Always uh, check out viewfromthepenaltybox.com slash merch. And Dad, I know one day we'll be watching the game and we'll, we'll look in the audience and we'll see someone in the crowd wearing a View from the Penalty Box shirt or sweatshirt. Maybe hey, we'll, in we'll your settle, we'll, we'll settle for wearing a hat. But yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the odds are with 18,000 people at the games to get a camera on you, good luck to you. We'll settle for an iPhone case. But um, <laughs> anyways, we do appreciate it. So thanks, everybody uh, who's purchased any of our merchandise. And lastly, we've noticed a lot of reviews on iTunes and Spotify. So we really do appreciate that. We do read them. And I know it, it helps give Dad the motivation to keep digging up those stories and recording these episodes. So we're going to start with your Stanley Cup prediction team, Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, A little bit of an update, Dad. How are they doing? Tampa Bay, let's roll back the clock. Last year, they were first place, I think, if I'm not mistaken, overall in the NHL for most of the season. They ended up first place overall. And when you go into playoffs... People know you're good. Teams know you're good. And they really do get pumped up. This year, I actually think it's not on purpose, but Tampa Bay is in the middle of the pack for their division. And I personally, I mean, if I'm the coach, if I'm the owner, I want them in first place. Okay, you you got bragging rights. But honest to God, it's like as long as you get into the playoffs, that's really what it's all about. You know, as I've said before, when you get into playoffs, even if your team or you as an individual have not had the greatest season. You get in the playoffs, it's like a whole new season. And if you shine in the playoffs, that's what people remember. So with Tampa Bay being in the middle of the pack, I believe if they kind of stay right in that area, they make the playoffs, that's when I believe Tampa Bay, as long as they're goaltending, that's, I've said that a hundred times. You have got to have goaltending in the game of hockey. And as long as your goaltending is strong in the playoffs, that could be the team that this might be the year. So I'm still sticking with Tampa Bay, Chris. 
Although there's some other teams, just like the Oilers, because, I mean, I live here in Edmonton. They've got a, a team that, uh, on any given night, they could beat you 6-1. to one. Like, they've got some firepower coming from two or three guys. The potential's there. And, you know, as I said, when you get into the playoffs, that's the key. Get into the playoffs. I wouldn't want to be taking on the Oilers. Uh, their goaltending has been rising to the occasion. It's a long year. So, you know, there's some nights they get beat, like everybody, and maybe by three, four, five goals. You don't want to see it happen. But overall, I'm encouraged by the Oilers' goaltending. And uh, Tampa Bay and the Oilers, for example, are two teams you really do not want to meet in the playoffs. So I'm still sticking with Tampa Bay. So now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, someone whose name has been in the news for the past couple of weeks, and that's Bill Peters. He... How do we say this? He's been, I guess, accused by, and I hope I don't butcher your name, but Akam Alou, who wrote on Twitter, not very surprising the things we're hearing about Babcock. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Same sort of deal with his protege in YYC, which is the abbreviation for Calgary. Dropped the N-bomb several times towards me in the dressing room in my rookie year because he didn't like my choice of music. The next one came from Mikhail Jordan. Sorry if I butchered his name. Never wish anything bad to the person, but you get what you deserve, Bill. After years making it to the NHL, had experience with the worst coach ever by far, kicking me and punching another player to the head during the game. In the end, they I guess uh, Calgary suspended him, did a, a pretty quick investigation. I feel like it lasted a couple days, and then they didn't fire him. They let him resign. So uh, my question to you, Dad, is... In all the teams that you played with or all the players that you've spoken to, have you ever seen a player ever get physical with another player, be racial to another player, ever take it to this level that Bill Peters has been accused of? You know, I've uh, racked my brain on that one, Chris, and uh, I've never I've never heard uh, anything racial. Like players, there's certain topics you know, there's things that you just don't say to the other. Even if you don't like the other team, you're going to say something just to get them going, even if you don't mean it. But I've never personally have heard or nor is anybody that I know that played in the NHL or the WHA or even the minors has ever brought up that they've heard a racial card, somebody, you know, calling somebody of another race a name. I just haven't heard it. And I know if it would happen on the teams that I played with, played for, not only me, but the other guys would have said, whoa, 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 you know, you've crossed that line. So it's unfortunate that, you know, here you you get a coach that's doing this. Never mind the 20 or 25 players on a team. You get a coach that's done this. I'm flabbergasted that, uh, you know, this Bill Peters, that he would ever do something like this. So... I think he's got, you know, he's he wrote a a, a a a letter that stated, you know, he regretted what he did, and he just kind of when he when he stated that, you know, it happened a decade ago. Well, as soon as I read that, he is minimizing what he did by trying to make it seem like it was a long time ago. As soon as I saw that, I just shook my head and I I just hoped that uh, they would. Uh, 
kick him out of the league very quick because the, the NHL's not like that. So I'm, I'm glad he resigned. And what's interesting from your perspective is when you played, there probably weren't many players of different ethnicities that would have been playing. So I guess one of the positive things with, with how the NHL has evolved is that all ethnicities and different countries are now playing in the league. And some people are saying that while this is great, the NHL hasn't kept up with this in terms of enforcing policies and having more tolerance training and uh, really incorporating all the different cultures of people that are, are playing in the league. Again, if you look over the years, back when I played, like we didn't talk that way. We just didn't talk that way. You know, today there are a lot more people playing hockey. And that's great to see. And I don't believe the players today would even think about something like that. Like, you know, well, I was going to say it, but I better bite my tongue. Like, they they just don't think like that. I think every one of those players feel very fortunate to be doing what they're doing. All of us are competitive. Maybe too competitive, but not to the point where you're going to start name-calling. That, that. That crosses a line, and I would hope that this is rare, and it's unfortunate that somebody who you look up to, a coach, a coach would do that. That's That just blows me away. So have you ever heard of a coach actually getting physical with a player that maybe didn't perform well or something in that sort? I can't imagine you would to- tolerate a coach punching you. I've never, I've never seen that, Chris. And, uh, I played football, soccer, uh, water polo lacrosse i've been just about every sport you could play and i've never witnessed anything like that at all to hear that bill peters actually punched a guy in the head and it was a player and it was on the bench and rod brindamore i saw him on tv and he said yes that did happen so it's not just somebody saying it and maybe exaggerating And that just blows me away. I've never, I've seen a lot of verbal abuse, you know, in my mind it's kind of crossed the line, but you know what, we're, we're hockey players, we're tough. You got to be mentally tough, not just physically tough. And you know, our feelings get hurt too, but you just kind of roll with it and you're pissed off and you're not maybe inside, you don't like the coach, but that's who he's coaching you, and you got to forget about it and move forward, unfortunately. So for Peters to punch somebody, like, that just blows me away. I haven't even seen a coach push a player, never mind punch him in the head, uh, to kick somebody in the leg or whatever he did. Yeah, you got shit pads on it. And, and no, it didn't hurt. But it's the action that somebody would even think about doing that. Well, it's interesting. As you're talking, I... Another player has come forward. Uh, this time it's Sean Avery, who I know has a colored past, but he has said that uh, Mark Crawford has, when he was coaching him, kicked him as well. And he said, you know how I stand at the end of the bench? He came down and gave me an ass kick that left a mark. So it sounds like this is a lot more common practice. And it's interesting to me that a coach thinks that that's the way to try and teach a player what his mistakes were or to show something. You know, coming from Sean Avery, we heard him on interviews knock his old girlfriends. This was on like Hockey Night in Canada, you know, 
one of the other players that was a defenseman, say, for Toronto, started dating his old girlfriend. And the derogatory things that he said, the actions that he does on the ice, like he is a troublemaker. For him to even step up and said somebody did this to me, he should go sit in the corner. Too bad, Sean. So the next topic, which is very similar to kind of what we're already talking about, I'm reading an, an article from Global News, which says ex-NHLer Daniel Carcillo alleges verbal abuse by longtime coach Daryl Sutter. He was the worst coach I've ever had in my life. He would demean people in front of the room, in front of everyone. It's just all about embarrassing guys. He says, I saw him kick someone in the lower back on the bench. What he did to Matt Green in front of the entire room before a team meeting when he had a concussion was absurd. Okay, so it goes on and on about that. So I, I guess you actually know Daryl Sutter pretty well. So what are your thoughts on this hockey topic? Well, you know, I'm not a big fan of any coach here. You know, because, yeah, I do know Daryl Sutter. I think every coach has their own style. Back in the 50s and 60s and even 70s, the coaches, they all, quite a few of them had their own style of coaching. And they felt in order to win, you had to be negative with your players. And, you know, back in those days, the coaches had all the power. The players had none. But over the last 30 years, 40 years, that power has slowly changed from the owner's well, one of the reasons, probably because, you know, when I played, they had Alan Eagleson as the player agent representing the players. And we all know what he was all about. He was a dishonest fellow that ended up going to jail. He took the Order of Canada away from him. He was a crook. And uh, he was, you know, working with the owners to keep the players down. And so they can get away with a lot more back then. Today it's changed. The players probably have too much power. But there's that happy middle ground. And I know the coaches today pretty well know you cannot be successful by sitting there and cutting up your players and being negative. Like, that just doesn't work anymore. And it's pretty well been proven that the players whose coaches are positive, everybody needs a pat on the back. There's very few people that are motivated to do better by having somebody scream and yell at you and doesn't hurt your feelings. Yeah, okay, I'll pick it up. Not too many people are able to be motivated like that. Most of us need a pat on the back. And I'm a big, big fan of Vince Lombardi. And there was a two-part documentary that just came out. And if you don't know who Vince Lombardi is, just Google. He was one of the best coaches ever in the NFL. And he went to Green Bay and he turned that franchise right around. And everywhere he went. He was a tough coach. He worked you harder than anybody else. And when you see the players in this documentary talking about the coach, and they said, you know, one of the, the quarterbacks said, you know, he wanted me to be the leader on the field, but then he belittled me in front of the players. So he said, I asked the coach after practice if I could talk to him. And he said, you know, you want me to be a leader, but yet you're carving me pretty bad in front of the guys. Could you please don't do that? He said that Vince never, ever embarrassed him again. Never did that again. And if he had something to say, it would just be a one-on-one -on -one in the coach's office. There was another lineman who was playing for Vince. And this lineman said that uh, Vince chewed him up and down. He felt pretty bad. He didn't know what to think about his coach. But the coach 
At the end of the day, he came into the locker room and kind of grabbed this guy and he said, keep working hard. You're going to be the best linesman in lineman in the NFL. And he said, man, as soon as he told me that, I wanted to work harder. And that's how you get the most out of people. You, you got to come down on them, okay? And you got to fine-tune it. Maybe it's best. Sometimes it's going to be spontaneous where you just... Hockey's an emotional game, and the coach is allowed to get emotional. But there's nothing wrong with being aggressive. And then, you know what, apologizing or taking the guy aside and making him feel better about himself. And I think he could grow from something like that. And, you know, as far as what Daniel has said about Daryl Sutter, Yes, I know him personally. I went to, for maybe 15 years, I went to Viking to the Sutter Brothers Golf Tournament. He was always there. As all the Sutter Brothers, all of them, are down-to-earth, wonderful, happy people that are big, big, big part of the community, not only in Viking, but in Red Deer, in Calgary. They were they, they give a lot of themselves outside of the sports world. And... I never played for Daryl, but I mean, I played for coaches that certainly didn't like me. And they carved me up something awful that I couldn't sleep at night getting ready for practice the next day. Would that be how I coached? Not at all. But I also I also know that maybe he made you a better player. Maybe he didn't. Um, I, I know him as a person. And I think he's a, a pretty nice guy away from the rink. And I got to believe most I would probably guess Scotty Bowman is a wonderful man away from the rink. I just wouldn't have the same style as a coach as a Scotty Bowman did or as a, what I've been told that Daryl Sutter was all about. Now one thing I'm just going to say about Vince Lombardi and I wrote this down um, when I watched his documentary for the third time yesterday. One of the things he said was it takes more than bullying to produce a team of champions. And uh, 100% accurate. Bullying will only take you so far. You have to point out some of the things that you need to improve. But in life, it's how you say things to people. And again, when Vince came around and he patted you on the back with that big smile of his, when he died, he coached three different teams in the NFL. And his daughter said that all the players from the three teams showed up for his funeral. And actually it did. It brought tears to my eyes that he could be respected by so many players in the NFL that crossed his path. That's the kind of legacy as a coach that I would strive for is, you know, you do your very best and you bleed for those players. and You make them better. You make them believe in themselves. That is how they're going to get better. They think that they're better than they are and they're going to play for you. And that smile and the pat on the back, it goes a long, long way. So, you know, Daniel, I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, Daryl's like that. And again, I've got coaches that was the same way. Those negative things that are said to you stays with you for a long, long time. But, you know, now that I've been out of the game for a long time, I wish I was able to just uh, turn it around in my own mind and just go forward. Okay, well, now that we got some of the heavy topics out of the way, you were talking with uh, one of your former teammates, and you both were trying to figure out where John Tonelli went. So I guess you have a, a little shout-out for him, if anyone, or if he's listening, or if anyone knows where he's at. 
you know, John, I've been pretty lucky through this podcast. Uh, a lot of the old players that I played with, you know, I, I always, I, I enjoyed everybody that I played with. And it's such an honor when some of my old teammates reach out and they contact me. It, it does my heart a lot of good. So I was talking to a few old Houston Arrow guys and, uh, you know, we knew where this guy's gone and here's how you get a hold of so-and-so. But there's two or three guys that said nobody knows how to get a hold of John Tonelli. And uh, the only thing that I think I know is that he's living in Long Island or working in Long Island. And so, John, if somebody knows John, if you could ask John to uh, reach out to me, um, I would love to talk to him again. And with John's permission, I'd pass his phone number on to a couple of his old teammates that uh, speak highly of him. So, speaking of John Tonelli uh, and the Houston Arrows, if you followed my podcast, and I'm sure not everybody's listened to all 38, but I talk about Bill Deneen, who was our coach, who has got to be one of the finest human beings that I've ever been around in sports. You know, he loved his players. He treated us all well. And when the management above him put pressure on him, a lot of the coaches, when the management gives them pressure, they pass it all the way down the line to the players, and they put the pressure right on the players. Bildenin didn't do that. When he was getting it from management above, he never said a word to the players. He let us just be the players, and uh, when it came time to, to show up, that Bill really, really needed a good performance. He talked to us, and he did your best not to disappoint the gentleman. And so he loved his players. He loved Terry Ruskowski. Terry has been a leader on every team he's ever played for. Bill loved him as a son. And uh, they, they got along so well together. And uh, we were in Birmingham one night. And I've talked about Steve Gibano. People that follow hockey know who this guy was. He was a little crazy. And uh, we're, you know, Birmingham had a, they were selling season, they were selling tickets through aggressive hockey. They were tough. I mean, I got to say, they were pretty tough guys. I know I could talk. I had a neck brace on, and that Gilles Billado, who's got about 22 pounds on me, had to wear a neck brace. The trainer was cracking my neck before the game, and he almost broke it. So I had to wear a neck brace, and you can't even turn your head. And and so going into that rink was not the time to wear a neck brace. And uh, I paid a price for wearing a neck brace that game. I almost broke my back. But in that game, that particular game, Steve Dubano and Terry Ruskowski went at it. And uh, if I remember correctly, Ruskowski, he had the heart of a lion, but he was probably, uh, I want to say like 170, 180. And he just wasn't that big a guy. But boy, he could fight. He would throw those lefts and rights just like a jackhammer at you. And um, I've seen Terry in fights where He's broke the guy's nose and the guy broke his jaw and they didn't miss a beat. They kept the punches flying. So Terry's the tough boy. He fought Debano in Birmingham. And so when the fight went down to the ground and they're arresting Debano, he reached over to Terry's face and he clawed, put three fingernails above his eyes, through his eyes, and down the other side below his cheek. And uh, he scratched court Terry's retina. And so Terry was having a lot of problem with his eye, couldn't see out of it. And you know what? When you start messing with somebody's eye, 
you know, that's, that's, I talk about crossing the line, that crossed the line. And so when the game was over, if I remember correctly, this was near the end of the game. And so Bill, it's like a father with your son or daughter. Somebody does something that's just crazy. You, you probably want some kind of revenge or you're going to confront somebody. I mean, I don't know. But this, so anyway, so what happened was, is uh, after the game, we're changing and uh, Bill Danini disappears. And we don't know where he went. And uh, we didn't see him till like the next morning. And he looked pretty tired. I said, what were you doing last night, Bill? Because he didn't look like he slept in. Took me aside and he said, you know, he said, with that the battle, scratching Terry's retina, that bothered me a lot that he did that. So he said, after the game, he went into the Birmingham Bulls dressing room and uh, he was looking for the battle. I said, so did you find him? He said, no, he'd already left. I said, so what were you going to do if you found him? He said... I know he could beat me up, he said, but I just wanted to punch him one time right in the head. He said, just one time for doing that to Terry. And he said, but he wasn't there. So I said, okay, that's the end of that. He says, no, I had a car. So I'd ask some of the players, where does the battle hang out after the game? What bars does he go to? And they gave him a couple names of some bars. So he said he drove to those two bars looking for the battle. And he said, I know I was going to get beat up, he said, but I just wanted to get one good punch in. You know, fortunately for Bill, he would have been suspended from hockey for a long time. Probably a lawsuit if Dubano wanted to sue him. The best thing in the world is that he couldn't find Dubano. And uh, he just loved Terry so much that uh, he just felt he just had to do that uh, to uh, make things right in his own mind anyway. So God bless you, Bill. Uh, Bill's no longer with us, but uh, he loved his players, and what coach would ever think of doing that? So we weren't planning to talk about this, but as I scroll through Twitter, I see that the Montreal Canadiens uh, have released a news release saying that Canadiens legend Guy Lafleur had surgery to remove a lobe on one of his lungs, and I know you've told stories about how much that he smoked, so it's probably related to that, but then as I... Happened to just click on his statistics. I thought I would ask you if you knew. It looks like he didn't play from 1985-86 season all the way through to 87-88 season. And then uh, he played, he returned back to the NHL to play for the Rangers. And then he retired in 1991 for Quebec Nordiques, which I'm surprised that he played all the way into the 90s. I had no idea. Were you surprised he played so long? And do you know why he had that gap? Well, I think uh, if I remember correctly, Guy retired from hockey. And then it got to the point, you know, it's the God's honest truth. We love this sport. As players, when you see somebody gets a puck in the mouth and they lose three teeth and they've got their lips cut up in stitches and they come right back out and play and and you get cut over the eye, um, you get your finger, like I had my finger skated over you don't even think for a second, I'm not playing again. You just say, stitch me up, I'm going back out there. Not because we're trying to pretend we're tough, you know, tougher than anybody else. We love the game from our heart, and we want to play the game. You do. And so, Guy, I believe he retired for a couple of years, and the love of the sport came back, and, you know, maybe I would like to play again. Let's just back this up. 
I wouldn't have anybody that would say, oh, yeah, we, we definitely could use you on our team. But Guy Lafleur, he's a different guy. He, 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 you look at his points and his record, smooth skater. And so there are teams like the Rangers that say, welcome back. So they signed him to a contract. And I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think he did pretty well for somebody that hadn't played for a couple of years. And then when you talk about the Quebec Nordiques, well, you know, Guy grew up in the province of Quebec. Obviously, he's fluent in uh, French and English. And, uh, you know, he's somebody that would attract people in the Nordique market because before the Nordiques were there, the people from Quebec, Quebec City, would be looking at, you know, the Montreal, watching the Montreal Canadian games, watching Lafleur and Junior. And so he had a big following. And they just loved Guy so you know, he came back to the Nordiques, and with his experience, he could help some of the younger guys out. He would put people in the stands, and I've said it before, Guy is one of the finest individuals you're ever going to see that played the game of hockey, and one of the most modest, and that's what I like most about him. He's a very modest man with unbelievable ability. So we did say thanks for all the reviews, but here's a review, Dad, that you haven't seen yet. So uh, it's very nice. I'm going to read it. It says, just found your podcast today and really enjoyed the content contained within the first two episodes I've heard. Love hearing the stories from the tougher old-time hockey eras and a take on the new and current game from the seasoned veterans. I like the dynamic and on-mic energy of the father and son combo. As is usually the case, the enforcers of the game are usually mild-mannered when off ice and are also good characters. You've gained another fan today. Well, it's sure nice to hear. It uh, makes me feel better. Uh, those kind of comments make you feel good. I don't even know how many people listen, to be honest with you. you know. But again, obviously people are listening. They're writing in a lot of questions and comments. And uh, it's really good for me to see that and it encouraged me to you know, when I'm out with friends and they start talking about something and I remember some stories, as soon as I hear certain words and I go, I, I got stories about that, I find myself now starting to write things down. So um, it's a little bit easier. After 38 episodes here, I uh, sometimes I got to say to my son before we start talking, hey, did I talk about this? And he go, yes, you did, Dad. And what about, yes, you did. So I got to run everything by Chris before I start talking about it because he's kind of my filter. In the review, uh, he mentions that enforcers of the game are usually mild-mannered. Do you find that? Yeah, I do. There, There is exceptions. Um, I, there is exceptions. Um, and I don't know if I... There, I had one instance that when one of the... When I retired from hockey after I cracked my back and I hadn't worked out. And one of the Oilers tough guys, I met him in a bar and he didn't know who I was. He challenged me to, you know, he said, I ought to take you outside and kick the crap out of you. And I said, I haven't played hockey for a while. I said, you know, I hadn't worked out for a couple of years. And I said, but if you want to go outside, I'll go with you. And then Semenko walked up. And uh, Dave walked up. And he was in the bar, too. And he introduced me to this gentleman, or that gentleman, to me. And you could just see that guy's wheels turning. So he, he recognized my name and he must have known that I did know how to fight. And then we ended up in the bathroom together a little bit later. And a fan walked up to him and said to this guy, Oh, you're one of my favorite players. I just love you. And he told the guy to just to F off. And 
I've never seen a hockey player act that way, ever. He may be a nice guy. I never played with him. But hockey players, athletes, anybody that's looked up to, you can't act that way, my friend. You know, even like when I see some people turning down autographs. Like, like you, 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 you don't know how lucky you are that somebody even wants to ask you for your autograph. So, so most hockey players that are tough guys off the ice, you know, tough guys on the ice, off the ice, they don't want to fight. I do my best to walk away from a street fight, as did some inks and a few other guys that I know that, that were tough. Even, you know, my buddies that I grew up in Winnipeg that I, I know they didn't look tough. But, you know, if you reach for a rabbit, you grab the bear. And these guys would kick the crap out of most guys. But, you know what? They didn't walk around acting tough. And so that's just like you said, Chris. Most of the tough guys that I know off the ice, they don't play the role. But again, you may not know that they're tough and you push the wrong buttons and you're going to learn the hard way. So we're going to go into some questions. And this could be a a really quick yes or no answer. But uh, the question is from Jay. And he says, Hi, Cam. I meant to ask if you've ever played against Bobby Nystrom, Jerry Hart, and Lauren Henning. I know you would have in the NHL, but did you play against them in juniors? Growing up, we got to know the families very well because all of our kids played hockey together. Thanks for the podcast. I am enjoying them. Actually, you know, all three of them, I have played against them. I don't know them. I know that all three of them were good hockey players. And a good example right there, you know, from uh, what I just said about tough guys, Bobby Nystrom. Anybody that I talked to that knew Bobby, he was a wonderful person. Never looked for trouble off the ice, but uh, on the ice, he was a different guy. And you have to be two different people. you got to be a Jekyll and Hyde when you play contacts. But today, it's not the same. It's just not the same as back when myself and others played. You know, the guys are better hockey players. There's no doubt about it. But it was a lot rougher when we played. And guys, guy like Bobby Nystrom, when it was time to show up and you got to fight and you got to take on all the tough guys on the other team, and he never ran out of tough guys. He showed up. And uh, off the ice, he would not, he would, like most of the tough guys, just stay away from any of the trouble. And then the other three, the other two gentlemen, they played in Flin Flon. I know of them. I played against them. And uh, they were good hockey players. And, you know, for all of us to make the NHL, we beat the odds and uh, more power to them. Okay, so we have another question from Howie. And uh, this was, again, emailed to you, you from the penalty box at gmail.com. He writes, hello, Cam. I would like to tell you what a great job you do with your podcast. I love your honesty and modesty. I like to crack a beer and listen to your experiences and the down-to-earth way you share them with us. Thank you for that. You played during the toughest years of hockey. I like the stories that you tell that that come right out of the movie Slapshot. So then he says, I actually have a doozy quick story to share with you from 1982. I was 13, Kitchener vs. Hounds, and I was getting autographs from some of the Ranger players during warm-ups. I called over the penalty king for, for his autograph, and he obliged. As he was signing, I noticed that he has pennies taped under his knuckles. I asked him what are those, and all he said was, keep quiet, kid. That player was Mike mower m-o-h-e-r he had lots of scraps and in the na in the ahl he talks about kim claxon uh so we'll send him links 
to those episodes about those fights, but Dad, did you ever hear of putting pennies taped under your knuckles or on top of your knuckles? You know, that those kind of things happened in the 70s, more particularly the early 70s to late 70s, you know, when there was really goony rough hockey. I know guys used to put tinfoil around their knuckles and then tape over top of that. I know we were allowed to. I used to tape my hands when I knew it was in junior, it was going to be a rough game. And I had, you know, if you ever look at my stats, I had point and a half a game, but I also had uh, around 400, 400 penalty minutes in 62 games or thereabouts. And when I knew I'd be fighting, it just had to. And, you know, you don't want to break your hands. So I used to tape them. And then the NHL came along and they said, you can't wear tape on your hands because if you cut somebody, you get suspended and a fine. And so I broke my hand three times. I wish I was able to, to tape it. But guys used to put wire over their knuckles and, and some cushion and then some wires. And they did that so when they fought, it would hurt the other guy. And they were able to do it. I And I don't know about this one, but I, I was told that some guys, nah, I, I can't even see how you could do but I was told that some guys put little beads of glass, you know, in the tape wrap. I would hope not. But uh, for this guy to put pennies, and this was 82, there's something wrong with him. Like, And I would wager, and I think, you know, I looked up this guy's stats, and uh, I don't believe he ever made it out of junior, but I could be wrong. But there's no place in sports like that. Uh, there's, you can't be taping up and putting foreign objects, you know, around your knuckles. Because if you ever got caught and you seriously hurt somebody, your ass would be sued so quick. So if he did it, you know, he shouldn't have done it. That's for sure. Okay, so our, our last question before we wrap up the episode comes from uh, Bradley. And it's another email. And he says, Hey, Cam and Chris, I've been a huge fan of your podcast since you dropped the very first episode. Well, thank you for listening for, I guess it's been almost uh, three years. Uh, So I'll continue. You guys have been one of the best podcasts out there. I love your stories from the WCHL and your early days with Winnipeg Flint Flint. That being said, I've been a lifelong Medicine Hat Tigers fan, being our local team. I was wondering if you have any stories to share on your podcast regarding experiences and games against the Tigers. Do you have any memories of the Gasoff brothers? Hope this email gets to you, and I hope my questions are shared on the podcast. Sincerely, Brad. Thank you, Brad. So WCHL, for those that don't know, that was called the Western Canadian Hockey League, which is now called the Western Hockey League, which encompassed the province of Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia. So teams from those four provinces, we played against each other, which makes up the World Hockey, the Western Hockey, Western Hockey League. And I think at the time, you could go up to 19 or 20 years old. And as far as Medicine Hat, I had one of my scariest times uh, in Medicine Hat with the Gasoffs. I was 18 years old, and I've talked in my podcasts about when I played for this team out of Winnipeg in the Western Hockey, Western Canada Hockey League. We had a three-week road trip going from Winnipeg all the way to the BC coastline and playing the same teams on the way back. And uh, before we left the trip, the coach, he says, 
going to be rough hockey and everybody's got to show up and uh, only Cam and Blair, you two are the only ones allowed to fight on this whole road trip and Blair and I looked at each other and we just shook our head, right? So I remember, you know, we get to, we, we went all the way to the coast and they, they only used me to get out there and fight. And I just said, when I finish this road trip, I'm quitting the team because I won't, I won't be just a goon. Like, I won't. You let me play a regular shift and you watch what happens. But I'm not going to just sit on the bench and go out and fight, guys. I'd rather not make it a pro. So, on the way back, we had one more game and that was in Medicine Hat. And uh, the night before, my roommate was a backup goalie. I don't even remember his name. I didn't need to hear. This guy was saying, oh, I used to play against Bob, uh, Bob Gassoff. He was a defenseman. He said, he's the toughest guy I know. He's a crazy man. He'll spear you in the head. And he's talking like this. I've never played it. And I'd never had any fear before. But now I got all night to think about this. And so uh, we played the Medicine Hat Taggers in their rink. 5,000 seed arena. It was sold out. And I'm not getting any shifts in the first period. And uh, this Bob Gassoff. And he had a tough team there. He'd spear some of our guys and go out of his way and punch them in the head. And it was a goofy game. And guys would come back to the bench and they'd go, oh, Bob just speared me or Bob hit me. Get Cam after him. And I remember thinking, you chicken shit, you know. And uh, so finally the coach, he sends me on the ice and he holds up, I'm going to say, four fingers. And I looked, it's, oh, number four. And I think that was Gasoff. And I said, well, Gasoff's a left defenseman. I'm a left winger. I really don't have to cross the ice to go to his side. So maybe we could stay apart. And I'm just being honest. I was a little nervous to this guy. I was 18. He was 19. I didn't play in this league before. And I didn't have confidence in myself or my fighting ability. I just started fighting. And whatever happened, happened. So second period, we get out there. Wouldn't you know it, Gasoff carries the puck up the left side of the ice. Cuts across the middle of the ice, goes right over to the right wing where, you know, to the right side of the ice, which is where I am. And he tried to get between me and the boards. And I went to hit him. And honest to God, I accidentally butt-headed him in the eye. And his eye was sliced pretty good and it started to bleed. And you couldn't believe somebody did this to him. I can't believe I did it to him myself. I was going, oh boy, I'm going to get it now. And so he just stood there and he touched his eye and he touched his eye with all the blood. He looked at me, touched, looked at his hand and looked at me. So the ref says, get in the penalty box. So I turned my back uh, to gas off and I'm heading to the penalty box. So, 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 so I, I'm going to the penalty box and the guys on my team said to me, he goes, don't turn, don't turn your back on gas off. So I skied looking, you know, I skied backwards to the penalty box so I could keep my eye on gas off. So I go in the penalty box. A gas off has to go off the ice in the second period for stitches. So I'm in the penalty box. The fans would run down to the edge of the penalty box and yell at me. He said, you are dead when gas off comes by. And I remember them throwing popcorn boxes at me and peppermints and just booing and yelling, throwing shit at me. And I'm getting a little nervous because we still have the third period to play. Thinking, oh, this is going to be a long game. Then... You can see today when somebody scores a goal in the NHL, they all go one behind each other and they high-five the bench. Well, they all got, the medicine had taggers, they all got one behind each other 
and they skated by the penalty box. And they all said to me one at a time, you're freaking, you're freaking dead when you get out of here, Connor. You're dead. And I went, oh, so anyways, make a long story short. When I you know now I'm getting a regular shift because guys don't even want to play anymore. So I'm getting a regular shift, and as I go to shoot a puck, they're not even they don't even care. They're just coming at me trying to spear me. And that game, I had um, two jerseys ripped off my back, and my third jersey is whatever, whatever number I ended up with. So I went through three jerseys that night because two got torn off my back. These guys are trying to get at me. And so Gasoff, I don't know why. I was waiting. I was thinking, well, I'm going to have to go. He's going to come right after me, so I'll be fighting him. But he never came back. And when the game was over, we, you know, we were taking our gear off. I just took my gear off, and I said, I quit the team. I quit. Right there on the road, we had no more games. And we went back to Winnipeg. And the coach, you know, he put in the paper that Connor was chicken, and uh, he cut me up bad. But, uh, like I said, I, uh, the next year I ended in Flinflon. I had a coach that patted me on the back. He didn't tell me to go out and fight. And I ended up with, like I said, you know, point and a half a game and almost 400 penalty minutes. And I became a number five in the NHL draft. So, so again, it was gas off. I knew that uh, I was going to cross paths with him. And we don't forget, somebody cuts my eye with a butt end, just like Tega Williams. You know, he sucker punched me one night, you know, on that road trip. And then next year when I was with Flynn I remember who did that to me. I called him off the bench, right? You don't forget. So I knew Gasloff and I, the next game, whenever we played each other, we would uh, we would definitely go at it. And, you know, because that goalie scared me so bad, I thought I was going to get pounded. But, I, you know, I couldn't be a coward. I'd have to show up. But uh, I have to say I was worried. And uh, unfortunately... I read in the paper, and I don't know how much longer, a year, two, three, four into his career in the NHL, played for St. Louis Blues. In the offseason, he was riding a motorcycle, and uh, he got in an accident, and he died. It's unfortunate Bob was uh, one tough, good defenseman. And so the other two brothers, they didn't have the same mean streak as Bob did. The three of them played on the same team. They were all good hockey players, but Bob was heads and tails tougher than his brother's. You know, the NHL lost a probably a pretty good person and uh, a good defenseman who was tough. And so we never did cross paths, and I never get never did get beat up like I was expecting to. So, well, I think that was a, a pretty uh, diverse range of topics covered today. So hopefully, everyone enjoyed your stories and your point of view. And until next time, I'm Chris, and I'm Cam. Thank you very much.